you go at home, your legs are shaking and you can't sleep because your legs are still shaking, you know? Welcome to Discovering Design, a podcast featuring a different guest each episode recounting their initial career, what sparked their interest in the creative arts, and how they pivoted to a full-time role in user experience design. Our guest for this episode is Matthias Klenk. Matthias began their professional career as a martial artist. We'll learn about growing up in East Germany before the fall of the Berlin Wall, what it's like to train harder than Jean-Claude Van Damme, and why life is better when it resembles the innovation curve. And with that... I'd like to introduce Matthias Klink. One day in 1981, little Matthias was born in Leipzig, East Germany. And yes, if you know history, there was still a wall dividing the two Germanys and I grew up in the part that wasn't always fun to, to be in. I remember this very vividly just by watching uh, or looking at, at pictures we still have, like my parents still have at home. Even the pictures are gray. It's almost black and white, even though they are color pictures. And there were still houses that had still holes from bullets from the Second World War because they weren't renovated. You weren't always allowed to say and do things you wanted to. My, my parents, my father's side grew up in West Germany. I never saw this family until the 90s. And to be honest, like as a kid, it wasn't so bad because I was a kid and my parents protected me. In East Germany, the opposition was mainly organized, and that's really funny, I guess, uh, in, in churches. So I grew up in a hippie church environment where people would speak out uh, and say that their opinion out loud because that was the only space where you could do that. Every night we had political discussions at, at dinner and uh, there wasn't much space for kids, basically, right? It was a totalitarian system, but in my home, it was freedom. In 89, when all this movement started, my parents helped to organize. I went once with them and was like the worst alteration in, in all the history. <laughs> like normally it would start with a mess in a church and then everybody would get out protest. You could like feel the fear in the air going up. You could like feel like you could feel this. Everybody, all kids, including me, were starting to cry because they could feel the the the, the anxiety, the fear of what's going to happen. <laughs> At once at one point we saw like police coming in and closing up the plaza from all sides. And my parents like took me, run out, and we were literally the last one to, to go through the police line before they cut closed it. There was like a market. People were like just shopping around eating and we could hear how people got beaten up and all that's like crazy. After the world came down my we, we could read our our files. My parents could read their files and half of the neighbors were, were watching us. It was crazy. Like friends, close friends were like reporting to the to the Stasi about us. A lot of people left. They were fleeing the country, right? But my parents really thought about changing the country, changing society to, a, to make it better. Nobody knew how things work, how capitalism works, like how, how a market-based society is working. We were just like used to, everybody had work always, even though it was the, the most silly work you can do. 
and um, we had all our education, like everything, it was provided for us. And suddenly you have to decide for yourself. My dad was an electro engineer and he actually, he worked for, for in a chocolate factory. He was a Willy Wonka at this time, <laughs> which was always fun. In Christmas, we had Easter bunnies, uh, chocolate Easter bunnies. And on Eastern, we had Christmas, like Santa Clauses. My mom was working, um, importing, <laughs> also funny nowadays to think about it. She was importing gas from from russia <laughs> she was basically doing basic economics so like there's nothing wrong about it uh, today and 30 years ago it's the same thing and my mom studied social work and then actually was one of the leaders in the city to build up a system for homeless people to help them my dad put me into karate when i was young i was like 10 11 i hated karate <laughs> i remember like i was like um there was another friend of mine who was like the, the son of a friend of my, of my dad, actually for my doctor, of my GP. And we always sneaked out and did something else <laughs> when we, sh we should have gone to karate lessons. I actually started Kung Fu way later, but like the main influence from a person I could, I could argue with is now he he's goes under the name Chan Li. Back then he was, we called him always Gunsh, like his nickname. And he basically, when he was 16, he left Germany. If we talk about like the mid nineties or the, like, sorry, like 96, 97, he left to China because he wanted to train at the Shaolin temple. They took him in. Like he, he now is, is, or was for a long time, part of the, of the core practitioners within the Shaolin temple. So he, I would say he was like one I always admired in 2001 after doing my civil service. I moved to Bielefeld, which is in West Germany, actually, in North Rhine-Westphalia. There was an, a Shaolin center, which was led by the nephew of the abbot of the Shaolin temple in China. And that's where I started my, my, my first real Kung Fu training. I have a black sash because I trained so long and I did all these tests, tests and, and all these things. And my, my Sifu, which is like my teacher, found like I'm I'm ready. I can, I can do that. But I'm also, that's like, I think more important. I'm a Sifu now too. So like, I think that's, that's more higher up for me than just, just the Sash, because there are some people who are way, who are way more trained, who are way more flexible, can jump higher, punch harder, all this. But it doesn't mean that, that their Kung Fu is necessarily better or worse in general. If we talk about Kung Fu as, as more than just uh, moving around. It's a way of being, but also Kung Fu means um, actually the, the significance of the words Kung Fu or Gong Fu is achieving a skill through hard work. Face your fears, face, your, face the things you have to do, right? Face your challenges and, and go through it and you're going to be stronger afterwards. When, when I started training with him, with my Sifu now, which I still have, who lives in Mexico, Boy, this was training. It's a journey. You train three times, four times a week. You have a mix of conditioning, flexibility, techniques. You do like movement patterns, which we call, we call forms. You learn weapon training. We have some gymnastics and you have the fighting part, which is often called Sanda. When you train for the plexash, we train for one year every day, almost like four hours. You go at home, your legs are shaking and you can't sleep because your legs are still shaking, you know? 
My C4 was says there's like three levels of Kung Fu training. It's you learn it, you like you get the basics. The second step would be you learn how to use it. You know, you know how to fight. And the third one is like when you get older, you, you, you you'd practice Kung Fu to stay healthy, right? So it's like it's kind of an evolution you go through. There's like 300 different Kung Fu styles and, and lineages, right? Ours is from, from Southern Shaolin. It's, um, it includes the animals and the different spirits of the animals, the, the energy of the animals. Any little mistake you, you did got a reaction. <laughs> so you had to be really um, being correct. You couldn't speak during class. It was very disciplined, right? My previous trainers in, in Germany, the, the Chinese, they couldn't speak any, any English or German when they were like fresh from, from China. So they were, they were listening to this Chinese pop music, like super soft. And they were like training and they would see a mistake and they like this little stick. They're like, they were singing along and suddenly like, you would like get a snap. <laughs> you would get striked with a stock, stick, right? So this was like training and it was good. There's, there's going to be a lot of uh, things going, that's going to be thrown at us in life. And, we and with our attitude, we can change how we react to it. And I think that's what, what got me hooked up also with like, the spiritual part behind the Kung Fu. I, I'm more a fan of the old school stuff with like Chet Li, Jackie Chan, yeah, yeah, Drunken Master. Um, once up in a time in China, it's like one of my, like Wong Fei Hung, or the Hunger stuff. It's like, and, and it has all real essences in there. These people train in these martial arts. When I have a, I, when I have a problem, it's like when you say like Pratik Swayze doing Tai Chi on a lake in, in, in Southern US, I don't know if this is accurate. The people who were fighting in the Shaolin Temple to protect the temple, they were fighting. <laughs> they, were, they weren't doing front and back flips and jumping around and like little crosshoppers, which is, again, it's fine because I love to watch it, but but traditional Kung Fu is not as beautiful. <laughs> That's the truth, because it was made to fight someone. During the, the Ming Dynasty, there was like, basically the emperor asked the Shaolin Temple to provide a battalion of monks. So basically you had like a battalion of monks with like staffs fighting pirates and, and rebels and killing them. There's like real historic accounts about like Shaolin monks ordering to kill everybody, you know? Which is crazy because they were a Buddhist temple, right? My, my teacher always, always says, the biggest skill you can have is that the people around you feel good. I still, I, I teach almost every day. I always had more than one interest in life. Like, and martial arts, I never thought it as a career, honestly. And I, I slipped more into this. Actually, my, my main pursue was an academic career, later BA in political science in Bielefeld starting in 2020, uh, My brother at this time already lived in Bielefeld where he went to a school and he took me in and then I made my own life over there. In Germany, almost every student has a side job. This is, this is the, the beautiful thing in, I think in Germany, when you study for free, you try things out and you see how, how, where it goes. I wasn't thinking as much. I was just like, it interests me. I like politics. I like to, and it was actually political science within the faculty of sociology. So I learned a lot of um, system theory from Niklas Luhmann, which is like a sociological theory that really also helps even now.
to make sense of things sometimes. At this time, I was like interested in how can I like actually have an impact, but with being more creative and without having to argue all the time with people. <laughs> and then from there I moved, I did a master in inter-American studies where I graduated on film, Mexican film. I did an exchange year in Mexico. And at some point I decided to, to move to Mexico. And there I did my PhD. And I did this in sociology and communication studies. So I did a, and that's like where I think the UX slowly comes in because I actually did a study on on reception and domestication of, of technology. So I did this between 2011 and 2015. And if you remember, like there was like Avatar, basically. It was like one of the first biggest thing. And then like everybody started to do 3D film. Why do people like that? What is different from the experience, also from the visual narrative um, 3D provides? I did like ethnographic observation. I, I went to movie theaters watching people, watching movies. I did interviews. I did surveys, like all, all the basic UX research methodology. Just in this case, it was academ academic and I, I wrote 400 pages. I actually lived with one of the actors from Amores Peros, who, like from Inyaritu's first movie. It was like a big hit. The PhD was another four years. So I was in total, I was like eight years in, in, in Mexico. In between that, I got, I found the woman of my life. I got married in Chile, <laughs> Patagonia. So she, she was from Chile, or she is, she still is. Yes. So she was, she was working as an architect and. She had family in, in Canada. She, she was actually, we met <laughs> and she was going to, to move to Canada like t one month after we met. And I was like, whew. I defended my thesis on one day and two days later I did my, my, my Plexage test and then we left. <laughs> Guadalajara was always, always a safe place until the cartel family started to fight each other. They started like kidnapping girls and women around our neighborhood. I'm like, they have to get out of here. My partner's family is, 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 is in Toronto. <laughs> That's why we decided to go to Vancouver. <laughs> the city is beautiful. You have the sea, you have the mountains, and you have a, a vivid scene for tech, for example, right? So there's a lot of things going on. Here in Vancouver, you have several universities, but there's only one film studies department, and that's at UBC. <laughs> I applied for it. They didn't accept me. Since we, we came here, we needed money. I just started to work whatever. So I ended up working in kitchens. Nothing I expected to do after doing a PhD, but during, through, during the pandemic, the social enterprise I was, I was working for lost all, all the, the income because it was mainly based on in-person English classes and like English tests and stuff. Before I got laid off, also already my, my partner started to, she, she studied something else to be a designer. And she, she started within there doing UX design. We obviously talked about it and she showed me these things. And I was like, that's what I did for my PhD. Like it's the same things. It's just shorter versions of it. I don't have to write <laughs> 400 pages. I thought I can try this too. And going more into, towards the, the research part of it, which is like where I'm more interested in. 
I, I wouldn't call it design, but I did like during my time as a student representative and like all this stuff, I did always flyers and, and stuff. So I had always this contact with it, even though I wasn't 100% involved. And my uncle was a painter. When I was a kid, I helped him setting up exhibitions. He was teaching me painting. I was a graffiti artist, so I was painting walls. I was painting, I was doing frames. So I, I did a lot of, of kind, kind of hands-on artsy stuff. Went to WorkBC, which is like the work agency here, the job agency of, of British Columbia. And they had like this paid boot camps for software engineering and UX design. But it gave me an overview over all the different areas and things. And I felt most comfortable with the methodology part, right? With the, like creating research plans, doing usability studies, creating insights, recommendations. I'm in like 10 different Slack channels. And I, I, I put, I went into every Slack channel I could. I was reading everything I could. And that basically gave me a way better feeling for where I want to go. I did like start with smaller projects with um, non-profits. Somebody gave me a project for, from with some guys in, in Kenya. So I had to build a food delivery app there. And my parents, they always like, I don't know if all German parents are like this, they're like, yeah, yeah, good, good. <laughs> it's like, do whatever you want. We, we are here to support you. Like, that's, that's their philosophy since I'm a kid. My partner and I, we were both applying for jobs. And we, we were like basically running out of money. And we were like, if in the next two weeks we don't get a job, we are screwed. In these two weeks, she got a job and I got a job. <laughs> Being open to learn, to, under, to, to listen to, to other people's advice doesn't matter where it comes from it always helps even even if it's harsh i had mentors i have like a really great mentor still who who helped me landing this job and is still with me she's amazing and worked very close to the ux designer here and product design and product manager and learning from them like asking them questions and being open about it hey this is one thing i don't know like can you help me 99 percent of the time people are willing to help you I, I like to be with designers and talk with them all the time and see like what's on their mind, how they work. I learned from Kung Fu and from my studies. It's like how to observe, how to ask questions, how to be assertive. There's like a saying, don't be a stone in, in the water. Like a stone in the water doesn't absorb any water, right? It just stays there and doesn't change at all. Be a sponge, right? Go in into a new environment and soak and everything out, out and in and learn from that. If we have the right attitude and if we work hard, <laughs> this is kung fu. We can we can uh, we can learn any skill. I learned about myself that I have still a lot to learn. I learned to to shut up more when you do, for example, use interviews or if you listen to if you talk to stakeholders. Gives you way more information sometimes than talking over other people. Like I, I really believe that that the universe, if if you're open enough, the universe provides the things you need you need to. And sometimes it's it's hard and you have to go through shit, but you're gonna turn out stronger and better. And that's that's just like how how life is, and we have to deal with it. L look look out for help from others. Find find mentors peers who can support you on this journey.
don't do it alone. I think that's the most important part. Be be nice to yourself. Don't beat yourself up and stay stay active. Learn. Be open and learn, learn, learn. I want to thank Matthias for sharing their journey and all of you for listening. Until next time.